If you have a comment or a question about something you've heard on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, send an email to contact at thewordendures.org. Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. Here you have Luke's one and only mention of the great offering that Paul had gathered from the Gentiles to bring as a love gift to the mother church in Jerusalem. I think the fact that he brought a big gift to the church there is what will lead Felix later to leave him in prison in hopes of him receiving a bribe from some of Paul's apparently rich friends. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Acts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. So, last time we heard about how the Jewish leaders, including even the high priest, arrived in Caesarea with big guns, a lawyer named Tertullus. And this was after some five days after Paul had arrived there. When Felix summons the trial to order, Tertullus begins with a bit of rank flattery, praising the peace they've enjoyed under Felix and the reforms he's initiated, and telling him how grateful they are for all this. But since he kind of cuts all that short, I wonder if Felix had given him a look or emotion as in, get on with it, man. Felix was not likely to fall for flattery. Well, then Tertullus does get on with it. He charges Paul of being a plague, a man who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the whole world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He'd even tried to profane the temple he charged, but the Jews had arrested him and were dealing with him themselves when the Roman tribune violently butted in and took what was clearly a Jewish matter out of their hands. And so, here they are, having to plead their case before the Roman governor, as in, if this is a bother, you have only yourselves to blame. Tertullus urges the governor to examine Paul, as in by flogging, and find out the truth of what he's asserting. All the others chime in, in agreement with this mix of truth and lies. A reading from Acts, the 24th chapter, beginning at the 10th verse. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, 
that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make their accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Acts 24, verses 10 through 21. Let us pray. Grant, we beg you, Almighty God, to us and to your whole church, your Holy Spirit, and the wisdom that comes down from above, that your word may not be bound but a free course and be preached and taught to the joy and edifying of Christ's holy people, that in steadfast faith we may serve you and in the confession of your name abide to our end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to ponder today's selection? Let's give it our attention. Verse 10. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Paul begins not with flattery, but with a simple statement of the truth. Felix had by this time been in office as governor for some five years, though he had earlier served over Samaria. Thus, Felix had been in authority around those parts for about nine years, and most significant of all, he had married a Jewish woman, as we'll hear later in the chapter. Paul believes, as he'll later remind King Herod in Acts 26, verse 26, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. So Paul is happy to make his defense before this man. His simple, direct, and straightforward style contrasts with the smooth talk of Tertullus. Paul's words would no doubt have struck him as having the ring of truth about them. Verse 11. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, verse 12, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. The governor can verify it easily if he wanted to, because before Paul traveled to Jerusalem, he'd been right there in Caesarea at Philip's house, and any number of witnesses would be able to attest to the fact. And notice Paul is clear why he went up to Jerusalem. He had simply come to worship in the temple. Thus, he challenges their depiction of him as stirring up the crowds. He had not done so in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. In fact, under the advisement of James and the elders, Paul had been decidedly uncontroversial on this visit. He had just been a regular Jew observing various acts of typical Jewish piety. Thus, Paul is adamant, verse 13, Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. In other words, yes, 
They can say that I was attempting to profane the temple and causing a ruckus, but they'll never be able to prove it because that's not what happened at all. Verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Now, he gets to the bit of truth in their charges. Yes, he is a leader, as they would say, a ringleader, of the way, that thing which they call the sect of the Nazarenes. And it's according to this way that St. Paul worships the God of our fathers. Does he mean by that that he worships Jesus, who is the God of the patriarchs and prophets? I think quite possibly. The mark of the way is to believe everything which the Holy Spirit has revealed in the law and the prophets, including especially the great hope of the resurrection of the dead. A hope, Paul insists, that these men share, which obviously means that besides the high priest, who was a Sadducee, there were some Pharisees present whom he readily recognized as sharing the same hope in the resurrection. Notice that at this point, Paul does not argue about Jesus' resurrection per se, but again about the concept of resurrection itself. And implicit with just and unjust is the fact that there will be a resurrection to judgment, to a verdict of innocence or condemnation. In effect, Paul had just said, yes, sir, I am a Christian. Verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. That is, in view of the fact on the day of resurrection, Paul knows he's going to have to give an account to him who is prepared to judge the living and the dead. And so, ever conscious of that day, he strives to have a clear conscience. He'd said something like this before the council, recall, and it had earned him a fist in the face, or at least a backhanded slap across the mouth. But Paul didn't back away from the truth of it then, and he trots it out once more. I try to keep that day always in sight, Paul is saying, and let it guide my actions so that I act with clear conscience, that is, with integrity. Verse 17, Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. Here you have Luke's one and only mention of the great offering that Paul had gathered from the Gentiles to bring as a love gift to the mother church in Jerusalem. I think the fact that he brought a big gift to the church there is what will lead Felix later to leave him in prison in hopes of him receiving a bribe from some of Paul's apparently rich friends. Verse 18, while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, verse 19, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. As normally happens when reporting speech, Paul breaks into his own thought. He never says what these Jews from Asia said or did, but he seems to realize as he looks around, and those Yehus are not even here. They are responsible for my arrest. Why aren't they here now to make an accusation if they really have some beef against me that they can prove? But as he sees who is there, he concludes with verse 20, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, verse 21, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, 
It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. These men themselves would be the members of the Sanhedrin who had journeyed down to Caesarea. He knows that they only have one thing on him, that he cried out in their council, dividing them right in two by shouting and crying out that he'd been placed on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That is, he's being tried because he was a Pharisee. Now, most interestingly, Chrysostom in 4th century Antioch notes what Paul didn't say, but could have. And not a word did he say of what he could have said, that they'd conspired against him, detained him, and imprisoned him. For these things could justly be said of the tribune, and yet they were not said by Paul, even though he was in danger. Instead, he's silent and only defends himself when there was much that could have been said. And that's what we're going to call our hiatus for today. Next up, we'll learn that Paul was right that Felix knew about the way, and he decided on delaying tactics. He said, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, then I'll decide your case. So he keeps Paul locked up, but on generous terms, so that none of his friends would be prevented from tending to whatever he needed. And a few days later, Felix even brings his Jewish wife, Drusilla, down to meet Paul, and they listen to him speak about the faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, however, terrifies the governor with his preaching on righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Felix sends Paul away, telling him that when he has a convenient time, he'll send for him again. And as we'll learn, and as I mentioned previously, Felix, knowing that Paul had friends who had moolah, kept hoping for a bribe of some sort, but none ever arrives. Two years later, Festus succeeds Felix, and to do the Jews a favor, Felix leaves Paul in the slammer. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.